Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I thought to myself, you know who we haven't checked in on in a long while? Twitch, and of course, their erstwhile exclusive broadcast partner, Dr. Disrespect. When, lo and behold, as I was trolling through my social media feeds today, I saw a very interesting tweet from none other than Twitch. Today, we released our first ever global transparency report, which provides an inside look at our safety approach, the reports we receive, and our work to keep communities safe. You can learn more about the data and access the report via the blog. And of course, I looked at this and said, this is exactly what we want as consumers out of the big tech giants that we use in our daily lives. We want transparency. I am all in favor of Twitch releasing more information on these kinds of things. So of course, I clicked on the link to the blog. Now, this is actually a description of the report of the things that they're doing for our safety. So we're gonna read this first, but I was really interested in seeing what they would have to say about everything that they faced in the past year. It's been a very interesting year, as you know, if you follow virtual legality. Keeping our community safe. Twitch 2020 Transparency Report. Today, we are taking an important step forward in our commitment to being more open about our safety efforts by releasing our first global transparency report, which covers the period from January, December 2020. Creating a transparency report is an important measure of our accountability. It requires being honest about the obstacles we face and how we are working to resolve them to improve safety on Twitch. Indeed, I couldn't agree more. In a true transparency report, you are getting not only the successes of a company throughout the year, but also the warts, the failures, the things that they would try to improve upon. Unfortunately, what we wind up having in this particular report is a bit more of a marketing or PR push, but we'll get to that as part of this video. Over the past year alone, we quadrupled the number of moderation team members available to review and respond to user reports which yielded a 96% reduction in median report response time, which sounds like there were other changes to be made. If you reduce something by 96% by only quadrupling the number of people that are involved, you might have some other things going on with respect to your reporting, but it's a good move, right? If you want to do this better, you put more people on it, you get a reduction in the median report response time. This is all things to be lauded and applauded if you are a fan of Twitch and you want to see it succeed on these particular scores. Now, they also list a number of things that they've done to improve their system overall, finishing up with arguably the most important. We updated our community guidelines to be clearer and more explicit. Red flags probably being raised already if you've been in virtual legality for a while, including clarifications to our policies around suspension evasion and drops farming, as well as significant overhauls of our nudity and attire and hateful conduct and harassment policies. But of course, as you can see highlighted in red, what immediately drew my eye was a reference in this particular document to their clarification on their policies around suspension evasion. Why? Well, of course, because it relates to one of our most popular series that we've ever done in virtual legality, the Twitch bans Dr. Disrespect, a legal discussion saga, which we last talked about almost a hundred episodes of this series ago, and which has gone dormant a little bit because unlike what journalists would have had you have believed in the summer of last year, Dr. Disrespect doesn't have any pending legal action that we are aware of. Neither Twitch nor Dr. Disrespect has talked about any of this at all. 
And that's what led me to believe that maybe in this report, having described things like suspension evasion in their overview of the report, we might be finally getting some answers about Twitch and Dr. Disrespect because the suspension evasion question is very, very important. As we saw in the news this past couple of days from Game Rant, Dr. Disrespect blocked from competing in Call of Duty tournament. Popular Call of Duty streamer Dr. Disrespect will not be allowed to play in the upcoming Toronto Ultra Call of Duty Warzone tournament. The Toronto Ultra Call of Duty tournament is scheduled to kick off on March 1st and 2nd with 36 teams competing for a cash prize of $100,000. That's real money. Zach Z. Laner Lane has confirmed that longtime streamer Dr. Disrespect will not be allowed to enter the Toronto Ultra Call of Duty tournament. Since the Toronto Ultra tournament will be streamed live on Twitch, Z. Laner believes that Dr. Disrespect's exclusion from the tournament may have to do with the platform. Now, he's the last Toronto Ultra Tournament winner, and he wanted to play with Dr. Disrespect. I got a message back from the organizers from Toronto Ultra and Call of Duty. They're the ones pulling the tournament off, and they said Doc is not allowed. After messaging Dr. Disrespect, asking if there's anything that can be done, the two-time champ responded with, unfortunately not. It's weird that they're not letting me play in this thing. It seems Z Laner intended to partner up with Dr. Disrespect for this tournament, but that will not be possible this year. Z Laner will be among the favorites to perform well in the tournament, which means that it would appear that Twitch has cost Dr. Disrespect a substantial chance of increasing his popularity, of getting out there in front of eyeballs, potentially of winning money. I don't really know Dr. Disrespect's skill set in the game itself. I know he's an entertainer that a lot of people really enjoy for his personality and his style. I don't know whether or not he's capable of winning a tournament like this. You can leave a comment uh, to this video to let me know whether you think Dr. Disrespect could have won some actual money here. But suffice it to say, the interesting legal question is, now you've got a third party that is embroiled in something with Dr. Disrespect, might have finished, might be subject to confidentiality agreements at this point, might have exchanged money, might still be ongoing. We don't know. It's all speculation. And anybody that tells you different, either on YouTube or as a journalist, is not telling the truth about that. We don't have the specifics about what's going on here. But we do know that something got in the way of Dr. Disrespect participating in a tournament that he wanted to participate in. And it would appear that Twitch is the common element there. Now, did Twitch ask for Dr. Disrespect to be banned from this particular tournament because it's going to be appearing on Twitch? Is it part of continued negotiations with Dr. Disrespect? We don't know. What we do know is that this is a significant problem, not just for Dr. Disrespect, but for other potential streamers that get banned, right? The big story here is the lack of transparency. We don't know what happened to Dr. Disrespect. We know that three months before he was banned from Twitch, he signed a multi-year, hugely valuable contract with Twitch before kicking the, him to the curb, right? When they kicked him to the curb, they didn't say a word to anybody. They let the rumors metastasize and filter around the internet. Really, really bad rumors. That's the reason I did the original video in this series calling out people for speculating on very, very important stuff. And we know that Twitch just let him out there, and now they appear to be going against him based on what? Based on that suspension evasion policy. And we'll get to the specifics there, but what's important to note is that this winds up looking under the law very much like a non-competition agreement. If you're not familiar with that term, when you are employed by someone in most states in the country, but we'll get to that in a second, 
You can sign an agreement with somebody else that says, I won't compete with your business for a set period of time after I leave your employ, presumably because you've got certain aspects of their knowledge base, certain trade secrets, the secret ingredients, the the sauce recipe, whatever it might be. And the law says, okay, you can prohibit them from working for a period of time in most states. The one exception to that is most notably California, where it appears that Dr. Disrespect lives. I can't promise you that he lives there, but every indication in the research that I did in preparation for this video suggests that he lives in California. And California is a special jurisdiction. Why? Because they have this particular provision in their law, except as provided in this chapter, and none of these apply. It's really about selling your company and doing other things on consignment. Every contract by which anyone is restrained from engaging in a lawful profession, trade, or business of any kind is to that extent void. Now, just like when we talk about antitrust laws and the Sherman Antitrust Act, there are parameters placed upon this, but the most often used case for this particular provision in California law is that non-competition is not allowed as a contract term in California. So if Dr. Disrespect is in California, Twitch is under California law under their own terms of service, we've looked at that before, then a non-competition provision is not permitted in the agreement that they have entered into, or at least if it's put in there, it will be void. You can't actually use it and the court won't honor it. But if you're Twitch and you are prohibiting a third party, like a tournament organizer, from using Dr. Disrespect in their tournament, even though Dr. Disrespect isn't using Twitch materials, isn't using Twitch contracts or money, is on YouTube operating completely independently, then you've got a real philosophical problem. This is an item of novelty, I think, in the law. This is unusual. We don't have streaming services or a history of streaming services for our legal cases. So you've got this party in Twitch not permitted to prohibit Dr. Disrespect from competing against them, instead banning him from participating in a tournament based on their own community guidelines and contract with that tournament, which has the same net effect, prohibiting Dr. Disrespect from engaging in a lawful profession, trade, or business, which especially comes up in the highly concentrated area of making exclusive entry into a tournament. Right? Twitch might not be a monopoly provider of streaming services. I would argue they're not. You've got YouTube gaming. You've got Facebook gaming. Twitch is undoubtedly very, very popular, but they're not necessarily a monopoly provider of those services. What they are, however, is a monopoly provider of live distribution of certain tournaments that they enter into contracts with. And so if they go in and say, Dr. Disrespect, who's otherwise a noteworthy Call of Duty player, can't participate in this by contract, you start to look like you have legal issues. And I can't guarantee that that's in fact the case because we don't know the specifics about what was the negotiation between Twitch and this other party or whether Dr. Disrespect was a party to these talks as well, but it starts to look bad. And certainly from a transparency angle, if you're interested in entering into a contract with Twitch or concerned about how Twitch might treat you, you would expect Twitch to have answers for these kinds of questions. Because the doctor disrespect issue is by far one of the biggest that Twitch faced in 2020. They're now issuing a report on transparency. I said, okay, good. We're going to dive in. We're going to find out about this stuff. And as you can probably already tell from the thumbnail and the title of this video itself, I found their report to be incredibly wanting. So let's dive in. This transparency report is the first of its kind for Twitch. It takes a hard look at how we think about safety the product choices we made to create a safe space for all our communities, and how our safety staff, community moderators, and technological solutions 
help enforce the rules we set. Our community guidelines attempt to balance the importance of letting users express themselves while also conveying clearly, objection, facts not in evidence, we'll get back to it, the rules of what is not allowed on the service, such as saying anything that is harmful to others or illegal. And again, that's not what their community guidelines say. We'll get back to it. Through the community guidelines, we try to make clear what expression and behavior are allowed on the service and what is not. As we've talked about, they pretty much fail in that endeavor, but at least they're reporting on themselves. Now, continuing, community guidelines are the foundation of our safety ecosystem on Twitch. It's the very most important part of all of this. Before we set any of our moderation capabilities, our machine learning, all these very aggressive things that we can do to try to protect you in our community, we first have to set the parameters of the rules. They're right. It is the foundation. Because the community guidelines communicate the expectations for behavior on Twitch, clarity is important. Agreed. We have tried to maximize clarity by adding descriptions and specific examples of prohibited behavior and specific exceptions wherever possible. As we've talked about from a legal perspective, the major problem with that is that examples don't matter. When you say blanket prohibition, including but not limited to this list of things, a lawyer sitting in a room with you will tell you, ignore that list. Use it for color if you like. The blanket prohibition is what matters. And we will see when we look at the community guidelines exactly why this level of transparency is superficial and doesn't help you understand what is prohibited by Twitch, which of course is at the heart of the Dr. Disrespect controversy, is all they came out with was saying that he violated terms of service and community guidelines and nothing else. And nobody's talking about it because there's millions of dollars on the line, or were, if it's already settled. We believe that by setting clear expectations that are updated as necessary, Twitch users will understand the boundaries we have set and feel free and confident in expressing themselves within those boundaries. Ideally, in the absence of ambiguity, that is a fair thing to aim for. Unfortunately, as we will see, the ambiguity is altogether too much in the community guidelines document that Twitch has put out. They then go throughout this document, and I'm not going to go throughout the whole thing because there are so many words here used to say very, very little, where they describe what it is that they do. They've got machine detection. Over the last two years, we've implemented machine detection technologies that scan content on the service to remove harmful or inappropriate content, definition not included, or flag it for review by human specialists. And then they give some examples. Again, ignore examples, ignore including. When you look at these things from a legal perspective, it's the blanket that matters. We've got machines looking for harmful or inappropriate content. We take them off. Community reports are important. At Twitch, we have a group of highly trained and experienced professionals who review those user reports. We heard them say they quadrupled this staff. If you're worried about their mental well-being, as anybody that's been on the internet must, because there's a whole lot of bad stuff to see out there, we try to cover that. We try to have health and safety and take it as seriously as anything else in our community so that we can help our moderators. Are they successful in that? We don't know. They just say that that's what they do. They have advertiser safety, very important. We only serve advertising on channels that are run by streamers who have demonstrated a track record of streaming responsibility and have provided us with pre-screened identity information. Their partner program, if you're more familiar with the YouTube terminology. And so Twitch goes and says, we have these people that are safe to advertise on. We match advertisers with where you want to put videos. Aren't we great? We're Twitch. We also updated our community guidelines a bunch throughout 2020. 
in our updates to the nudity and attire and the harassment and hateful conduct policies, we started by convening and gathering feedback from focus groups made up of a diverse set of Twitch creators. We also reviewed draft guidelines with our Safety Advisory Council, an eight-member group of creators, academics, and NGO leaders. Not entirely clear why NGO leaders are included, but fine. These steps help to clarify our guidelines and better reflect the standards and ideals of the Twitch community. Now, we recognize that our service, our community, and the world we live in are not static. And as such, we will continue to review and evolve our standards and expectations. A little bit of a bit dangerous language there, especially if you've got any kind of archived materials, things that might be okay today and not okay in the world of not static, evolving standards and expectations that you might find yourself in in 2022 to 2025. But as a corporate lawyer, as we've talked about in virtual legality, all of these corporations are going to reserve the right to evolve their documentation, to amend them, to revise them. That's not that unusual but we often don't see the actual entities patting themselves on the back for the fact that they have the right to change the world out from under you. This continues for a long, long time. Here, here's how we're doing. We've got all this moderation coverage. Look at it go up. We've had all these chat messages we've removed. Look at us go. We've got channel enforcement actions. Again, much higher in the second half of the year. We're doing great. User reports are up. All of this stuff. Now, Twitch, again, is using this document as a bit of PR, a bit of marketing. So every single time you see one of these pictures, every heading that you see that might look like things have gotten worse, right? Oh, we've got much more user reports. Oh, we've got much higher enforcement actions. We've got all these other things. Instead of looking at it and saying, wow, is the community getting worse? Is safety more in peril on Twitch? What are we doing wrong? All of these are framed as we're more efficient. We've got more machines. We've got more algorithms. We've got more people. This is why you see this increase. It's because we're doing our jobs better. Don't believe your lying eyes. Don't believe that these charts that are all showing things going up in terms of enforcement, which would ordinarily be suggestive of a community that is in a downward spiral of some kind. It just means we can see these things better and we are enforcing things better. Might be true. I'm not here to disparage Twitch for saying these things. I think it's good to have these charts out there. I'm just here to say the paragraphs that say, well, we think that half two of 2020 is higher because of X, Y, or Z, because we're better at catching these things. Those are to be taken with a grain of salt. I have no doubt that the pictures and the numbers that they put forth here are accurate. There's very little reason to lie in this kind of context about such things. But when you see a chart like this, you get to hateful conduct, sexual harassment and harassment. You see a difference here of 20,000 in the first half of the year and 60,000 in the second half of the year. And they say, well, why did this happen? Well, we made improvements to our user reporting and we increased our capacity to review user reports. So we're just doing a better job of keeping this stuff off of our service. It didn't reflect any changes on the service at all. You say, okay, all right, Twitch, we're not really going to get transparency here. What we are instead going to get is a lot of hand waving and excuse making for what otherwise could look like negative trends. And still, as we proceed through the document, nothing on Dr. Disrespect, suspension, evasion, or anything else. They also note as part of this hateful conduct policy that they changed it in January of 2021, which we will look at as part of this video, to catch more folks. We expect this will further enhance our efforts to keep these kinds of behaviors off of Twitch by broadening its application. We'll see if they succeeded. You've got similar charts all throughout this. Big increases in the second half, all of which they want to claim are because they have more people looking at the videos in general. And that might well be true. The last thing I wanted to say is part of this 
particular report is stuff that I didn't know about Twitch. And that is they are escalating certain videos and content directly to law enforcement whenever and wherever Twitch identifies credible threats of violence, undefined, Twitch will proactively send user data to appropriate law enforcement agencies. Now, I think we have to take this with the right perspective. It is laudable for a company to want to try to prevent violence, to prevent bad acts out in the world. That is a good thing. That being said, we've had a lot of conversations about policing, about law enforcement in general, about calling the cops, about having these contact points between people, especially people who might not be expecting them. And to have a service like Twitch, take whatever it is that you are doing, determine that there is a credible threat of violence based on that and call the cops on you is I think something that people should know is happening more than they probably do. It was certainly a surprise to me. doesn't mean that they don't have the rights and the terms of service. I'm sure they're covered where they need to be covered legally here. Although certainly there are privacy concerns with distributing out like location information to law enforcement authorities based on somebody streaming on Twitch. But I think this is very important for people to know that Twitch is doing this because what I saw referenced in the community guidelines about law enforcement were things about like child sexual exploitation, which they do say that they do directly in the community guidelines. This was a little bit of news to me that they can actually go determine when there's a credible threat of violence and on their own say so, they will send location information to law enforcement agencies to go take care of, which, you know, is effectively swatting them. So you hope Twitch is right when they make these calls. It's a very limited number of instances in 2020, but it will be something to keep track of, as well as what we're used to from data preservation in these companies, which is holding information for subpoenas and to send over to courts where they don't necessarily tell you that that's what they are doing. Twitch says that they did it here. They don't really give a lot more detail. They don't say any of the things in terms of editorial that they say with respect to the rest of their content. But that leaves us back at this foundation, right? I called this video the myth of Twitch transparency, not just because this report isn't very effective, but because the very foundations of this report are questionable, right? The community guidelines are the foundation of our safety ecosystem on Twitch. They need to communicate the expectations for behavior. Clarity is important. And then if you go to the community guidelines document, what's the very first thing you see? I know if you've looked at my Twitch videos in the past, you know this, but what do you see? You see we at Twitch, Reserve the right to suspend any account at any time for any conduct that we determine to be quote unquote inappropriate or harmful. That is the baseline umbrella prohibition and quote unquote guardrail set in the community guidelines by Twitch, regardless of anything else they say. The such actions may include the including but not limited to the lists of examples. We at Twitch reserve the right to take action against you for anything that we determine on our own say-so and recognizance is inappropriate or harmful. That's the clarity that Twitch has offered that they simultaneously say is so important. But of course, there's no reason to worry about these kinds of things. It's not like they would sign some kind of seven or eight figure deal with somebody and then just rescind that deal based on a breach of these community guidelines without necessarily telling you, the public, or telling you, the contractee, what was done wrong. They would never do that kind of thing, right, Dr. Disrespect? Never, never, ever. So we continue by looking at this document for the examples that they say, right? The foundations of transparency, the rules. It is prohibited to use your channel to knowingly feature or advertise a suspended user. The Dr. Disrespect rule. 
This was added when Dr. Disrespect left Twitch and they were having some difficulty with people having Dr. Disrespect on their streams, either deliberately or accidentally. So you know Dr. Disrespect is suspended. Twitch says you'll get in trouble if you bring him on your stream. We understand that there may be instances where suspended users may appear on your stream due to circumstances beyond your control, such as through third-party gaming tournaments. Third-party gaming tournaments, right? Twitch is actually laying out what should happen in respect of a third-party gaming tournament. And they say, we expect that you make a good faith effort to remove them from your broadcast, mute them, or otherwise limit their interactions with your stream. Which begs the question, or perhaps poses the question for the more pedantic among you that will undoubtedly leave a comment to this video, that if Twitch knows what you should do in respect of a third-party gaming tournament that somebody like Dr. Disrespect participates in, which is remove them from the broadcast, just stop the stream, mute them, limit your interactions, things that are normal for a streaming platform to suggest if they don't want somebody appearing on their video, why then are they taking the extra step of actually going to this third party and saying, if he participates, we won't enter into the contract. If he participates, you'll be in breach of your contract. He can't participate or else you'll get in trouble tournament organizer because we have Twitch, we can enforce those kinds of things. We can limit his ability to make money, to go and make a living, even in the state of California, even though we have articulated a completely different standard for our actual users. Again, it's Twitch. I can't tell you what they're thinking. Why? Because they're not transparent about it. Self-destructive behavior. Any activity that may endanger your life is prohibited. Uh, you don't need to be a lawyer to know that virtually any activity may endanger your life. May is a very low standard. It means that there's any possibility at all. For the most part, opening your front door and walking down the steps onto your front porch is a chance of significant physical harm. People have died slipping on their stairs. Not very often, but they have. So they set these standards and say, well, it can't be anything that could endanger your life. People have died playing video games. Twitch is responsible for streaming video games. It can't be anything. And indeed, Twitch knows how to write it differently. We do not make exceptions for self-destructive behavior performed as a stunt or gag made in jest when the behavior could reasonably be expected to cause physical injury. Not just may, but could reasonably be expected. That's a legal standard. You put that up there. Again, ambiguity. I'm not doing this to drag Twitch. I'm doing this to point out that, that if this is your foundation, all the charts in the world, all of the paragraphs and scientific references and subheadings don't matter when the foundation of your rule set is unclear, which leads us to one of the bigger changes that they've made, hateful conduct and harassment. Here is the community guidelines definition. Hateful conduct is any content or activity that promotes or encourages discrimination, denigration, harassment, or violence based on the following protected characteristics, race, ethnicity, color, caste, etc. So under their definition in the community guidelines document itself, it is only promotion of discrimination or other bad things based on a protected characteristic. But you then take this in the community guidelines and they incorporate a separate reference, right? Learn more about our hateful conduct and harassment policies, which kicks you over here where you find a completely different set of definitions. We do not tolerate hateful or harassing behavior or conduct that encourages or incites hate or harassment in any way, undefined. 
And that can't possibly be the case because you can hate hate. You can do all these various things that come up when people describe the paradox of tolerance to me on social media and elsewhere. And Twitter or Twitch doesn't mean to have any kind of enforcement action against those kinds of things. Makes sense. So when we get now to the definition of hateful conduct in this separate document, again, ambiguous to the first document, we get yet another change in definition. Twitch does not permit behavior that is motivated by hatred, prejudice, or intolerance, including things based on the protected characteristics. So if you're reading these two documents, do you know whether it is a requirement that it be based on a protected characteristic, or is it just in general motivated by hatred, including things based on a protected characteristic? Another ambiguity. If that's not bad enough, let's introduce another one. Because down here in the examples that they give, they say content that is prohibited under our hateful conduct policy, regardless of whether it is intended to be hateful, includes but is not limited to the following list of things. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you have behavior that is motivated by hatred, prejudice, or intolerance without intending it to be hateful? How are you motivated by hate and also simultaneously not intending it to be hateful? Which of these is the standard? Or is, in fact, this kind of broad brush standard the standard? Or is the requirement that something be based on a protected characteristic the standard? Look, Twitch is a corporation. It can set the standard it wants. It failed to do so. It has four different definitions of this fairly simple concept in only like five paragraphs of legal language. The foundation at its core is the problem, not all the pictures of quote-unquote transparency. This continues throughout the rest of what they have to say. Spam, scams, and other malicious conduct. Any content or activity that harms or otherwise violates, what? The integrity of Twitch services or another user's experience is prohibited. Blanket, umbrella prohibition. Any content that harms another user's experience is prohibited. Now that can't possibly be the rule. Right? Beating somebody in a video game arguably harms another user's experience. Telling somebody that they are wrong on whatever their beliefs are, and I'm not talking about serious beliefs, we don't have to get into politics, that they love a certain book series and you think it's trash and you put that out on your Twitch stream. Well, you've harmed that user's experience. That can't possibly be the prohibition. So then you get the includes list. Well, you've got posting large amounts of unwanted messages or user reports. Well, they, they just said in their transparency report, they want to encourage users to file as many reports as they can to help get them safe. So it's probably not just large amounts of user reports. Unwanted messages, a little bit unclear. If you're just posting in a stream, if nobody responds to you, are those all unwanted? Where's the threshold for large amount? What is misinformation? They give a parenthetical example of feigning distress, posting misleading metadata, or channel miscategorization, that's actual literal wrongness, falsity, but misinformation is a pretty broad term. Obviously, misinformation is something that we've been fighting about on social media now for a solid six months because they're putting things on like Twitter that have labels for what's misinformation. They're prohibiting things. They're banning people. What does Twitch mean by this? I don't know. Do you? They've got their nudity, pornography, and other sexual content changes, but they say sexually suggestive content is prohibited although it may be allowed in educational contexts or for pre-approved licensed content, those video games we want you to play, right? The Cyberpunk 2077 problem, which has a huge amount of sexual conduct and people didn't know whether it was going to be okay on Twitch. Twitch is, of course, it's okay. It's a big game. That's what we want you to have streaming, but people don't know this. Where's the pre-approved licensed content list? Where is the suspended 
players on Twitch list, if I'm trying to avoid ban evasion. I don't know who everybody is that's been suspended by Twitch. Again, clarity. Clarity is paramount. Twitch said it itself, and they fail at every turn. How about intellectual property rights, right? You should only share content on your Twitch channel that you own or that you otherwise have rights to or are authorized to share on Twitch. Examples of content you should not share on Twitch without permission from the copyright owners or unless otherwise permitted by law include this stuff, including pirated games. But as we've talked about in this space, right? Twitch has problems with copyright. Twitch has problems with music copyright. Twitch has problems with video game copyright. Their statement here that you only need to be worried about things like pirated games completely misses the point that we've been making in virtual legality now for what seems like years, which is that if you don't have the license to distribute, if you don't have the license to display or to just stream, if it's in the contract itself, you've got a potential problem from the video game companies as well as the music companies and everybody else that might have copyrighted material in a video game that you are streaming and you most certainly don't own it. You only license software as we've talked about a lot in this space. So if you don't have the proper EULA terms and you don't own it, you're in breach of the guidelines on almost everything that you do on Twitch, which always gives Twitch the right to take action against you, which always allows them to collect these reports if they decide for some other reason that your conduct is inappropriate or harmful. It's entirely in Twitch's hands, which makes the concept of transparency somewhat of a joke, right? It's great that Twitch is going out here with something like a transparency report. It's great, and we should encourage it. Again, I don't want to drag Twitch on this kind of stuff because they should be moving in this direction, but it should not be half measures. Twitch is committed to releasing two transparency reports a year. We'll see how long they keep that up, but there needs to be actual transparency. What happened with Dr. Disrespect? If you've got details you can't deliver because of the individuals involved, that's fine. But talk about the issue. Talk about the sexual abuse allegations of the moderators and the people at Twitch itself. Talk about the problems that were evident with the Safety Advisory Council from the outset and the other issues that you've had at the platform in terms of safety and community. Don't pretend that it's all rainbows and unicorns and lollipops because we can see that it's not, right? We can see on Twitch that you had a major falling out with someone that you were committed to for more than $10 million, I believe was the last report that I had heard on the Dr. Disrespect saga. And not only does he go out there and say, with his lawyer's approval that Twitch hasn't told him what is wrong at the time that he made those statements, but he also is now being prohibited from participating in his livelihood in a very questionable state of affairs from Twitch and one that we can't know better because there isn't any of that transparency. Now, will that run afoul of California law? I can't tell you. Should it? Maybe. If you don't tell people exactly what they did wrong, if you don't tell the public what's happening with your platform, it is very difficult for the public to abide by your rules. Just pretending we're in Twitch's shoes. They should want to have better, more consistent guardrails with fewer ambiguities because it's going to help them enforce their own rules. They need to go through the entirety of those community guidelines with a fine-tooth comb. It is the foundation of their policies and make sure they are as clear as a whistle that you can understand exactly what is expected of you and what is prohibited. And they need to limit their own ability, even as a corporation, to just take action against anybody that they might determine to be harmful. Far too broad a brush. And every streamer, every participant on Twitch needs to know just how broad this brush is. 
And no set of reports, no set of tables is going to change the fact that there is an overall lack of transparency when your foundation is as rotten as it is. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy having these conversations about the business and law of places like video games, software, technology, pop culture in general, whether it's music, movies, television, or otherwise, please consider supporting us. We've got a Patreon. We've got Streamlabs tips up. We've got a store you can see just below this video with fun mugs and shirts and other paraphernalia. And if none of that appeals to you, just consider subscribing and or even perhaps more importantly, telling your friends. We'd love it if you subscribe, you hit the bell, you do the dance, you leave comments for the Google algorithm. But if you just tell people we're having these conversations, every single little bit helps. And I am so appreciative of that effort. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.